Now, a few weeks ago, we hosted our first wedding at this venue. Uh, they met in the sanctuary, but then they did their reception out here. And every time I do a wedding still, I think I've done 30 weddings up to this point, I still feel the weight of the ceremony. Like it gets serious and formal. And typically, uh, I don't know all the extended family members. I know the person I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, marrying. And, and I always think, man, this is so formal. And I'm up here like talking for 30 minutes to a bunch of people that don't know me like there's a lot of weight on what i say and everyone's kind of stiff but then there's always those moments i don't I don't know if you've been at those weddings where something just funny happens but not like it was planned it just happened you're like Ooh, okay all right that was good you know like like uh at our wedding my wife was walking up the steps with her veil and her her dad uh dropped her off that's not the lingo but you know uh dropped her off and walked away and stepped on her veil and so she's walking up the steps and just does this and it's just funny. It's like, okay, you know, like this is very serious. She's walking down the aisle. It's very emotional for me. But then, hey, it's also funny. And, and then when uh, I, I'm, um, <laughs> I'm getting rings for us to exchange our rings, uh, the officiant calls for them. And I look over at my brother, who's my best man, and he pulls out a Cracker Jack box out of his tux and starts shaking it. And my, the ring I bought my wife comes out. I'm like, come on, dude. Like this guy. Now, that was definitely planned. Uh, but it was pretty funny. Or the time that I was officiating a wedding off uh, the West 7th uh, Park, and I have the rings in my hand, and I tell the, the guy, I say, hey, uh, grab the ring and put it on her finger. We practiced this last night. Uh, put it on her finger. And he grabs his ring, and he puts it on her finger. And, and the whole time, I'm like, <clears throat> man, oh, well, I guess I'm still talking. I think she's doing the uh-huh, uh-huh, trying to get his attention. He doesn't notice it, finally notices it, changes out, and then... We do the repeat after me, right? Right. The with this ring, I seal my promise. He says it. I pledge to be your faithful and loving husband. He says it. But both those times, those first two phrases, he's looking at me, and I go, "Hey, let's now let's redo this, man." Can you look at your wife? Like I'm already married. I don't want to get married again, and definitely not to you. So look at your wife, and let's try this again. And just those funny moments, right? And it reminds us that, yeah, this is, it's going to be serious, it's going to be formal, but it's also fun because it's a celebration, it's a party. And that's what baptisms is like. It's serious, it's an ordinance of the church, it's, it's a big deal what God has done in these people's life, but it's also a celebration, it's a party. It's fun to celebrate, to rejoice, to sing, uh, to clap, to whoop, to holler, because uh, God has taken three people from death to life. He's taken three people and washed them clean. And we planted this church so more people would meet Jesus. And so I'll just get a little bit. What Jesus has done over the four years of our church is that he's, uh, we've baptized 31 people. This will be, well, today will be 31. That, that's what we're about. That's what we're all about. And so it's a celebration. It's a party. Uh, I'm really excited. Now, we're looking at John 3, not because it refers to baptisms, but because it speaks of a groom and a bride. John 3, verse 22, a groom and a bride. I want you to hear this. The headline is, it's all about the groom. That's the headline. It's all about the groom. John 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John, known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, also was baptizing in Enon near Salem where uh, because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about 
and who is with you across the Jordan is baptizing, speaking of Jesus, and everyone is going to him. John responded, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, this is John speaking, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase. I must decrease. So up to this point, if you're not familiar with the book of John, Jesus has started his public ministry. He's turned water into wine at a, a wedding in Cana. Uh, he has cleansed out the temple, made space for non-Jewish people to worship God in the temple. And right before this, at the beginning of chapter 3, he told a religious uh, leader and teacher that he must be born again. And that's where we get John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And now we see Jesus leave Jerusalem, go into the country, so leaves Fort Worth and goes to Brock, Crescent, Granbury, Crescent, goes out to the country. It's not really country. Like, we got to get really out there, right? Cross Plains. There we go. None of you even know Cross Plains. So that's the perfect analogy. But he goes out to the country, and he's baptizing uh, people. He's spending time with his disciples, baptizing people. And at the same time, John is still baptizing just a little bit down the road. And a couple of John's disciples get into debate with uh, this Jewish leader about purification because baptism seemed like purification and the rites of purification from the Old Testament, so they're probably arguing about that. And then John's disciples go back to John and uh, they tell him, hey, all these people are now going to Jesus. Our numbers are going down. We're not baptizing enough people. We can't, our spreadsheet is getting lower because they're all flocking to Jesus and getting baptized by Jesus. Jesus is gaining more and more and more. What's going on, John? What's going on? Everybody's flocking to him. What should we do? That's kind of the, the anticipation. That's the, uh, that's the posture. That's the tone of them. Like, what are we going to do? Essentially, how are we going to win the crowds back? And what does John say? In the midst of their outrage and jealousy, John reiterates his mission. He said it before. He's going to say it again. I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the promised one. I'm not the Savior. Or in my vernacular, I'm not the main dude. That's what he's telling them. Like This, is, I, this isn't about me. And then he gives that quick illustration. So back to verse 29. He who has the bride is the groom. But the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He, Jesus, must increase, but I, John, must decrease. So I'm not the groom. I'm not center stage. I played the background. I'm the best man at best. Like, I'm the best man here to help throw a party and rejoice. Like, it would be mad awkward if, we're, if I'm officiating the wedding and the bride is walking down the aisle and the best man just kind of steps in, booty bumps the guy out of the way. He's like, no, nah, I'm going to marry her. Like, no, you're not, bro. You're here to celebrate them, not replace him you're here to throw the party for jesus you're here to celebrate jesus you're here to to rejoice in this 
marriage. That's what John says. I'm here to prepare the way, but now it's his time. I must step aside. I must fade into the background so that he must step front and center. center. And he says, this is my great delight. He's not mad that he's not the groom. He's not mad that the marriage isn't about him. Like, it's his great delight that the marriage, the center, the focal point is Jesus. Now, when we think about this, it may be difficult to try to understand. Or not not having the, the original hearer's ears, we may not feel the weight of what's happening right here, but the original audience would have. They would have heard and picked up and understood this language of groom and bride because in the old testament over and over again god tells us that his people the israelites are his bride and he's the groom god's the groom his people are the bride and jesus is picking up this language and saying that he's here god in the flesh to be the people's groom. So let's party. The truth is, not of just this story, but the story of the world, is that the entire story is about Jesus. If you think about this, the whole world is a stage of a wedding where Jesus is the center focal point husband who receives all the glory and honor and praise for who he is and what he does. So to be very clear, you're not him. However you imagine yourself in that wedding party, you're not the groom. You're not the groom. John knew it. John says it. John proclaims it. John lives it. Even corrects his disciples in it. Jesus is the center point of the story, the hero of the story. He's Prince Charming to come save the day. You are not the lead. So think about this. Growing as a Christian is not growing in self-confidence and your ability to do what you can, uh, to, to be more and more strong and confident in yourself. No, it looks like you playing more and more into the background and championing more and more Jesus on the center stage. That's what it looks like to grow as a Christian. It becomes beholding him, elevating him, increasing him, delighting in him. It means becoming more like him. While you decenter yourself from the middle point of the story, you are decentering yourself from imagining and believing functionally that you're the hero of the story and believing and centering Jesus in your money, in your time, in your relationship, in your affections, that he's the center of it all. In your own life, because it's true for the whole cosmos. Now John's proclamation is very specific for his ministry, right? There's this point in time. He's, he's the Elijah, the forerunner, to prepare the way for Jesus. So it's very specific. But this language, I think, is true for all Christians. He must increase. I must decrease. I want to die to myself and become more and more like my rabbi, my teacher, my savior, my lord, my king, 
my God. And that's what these three people this morning are doing. Those that are getting baptized this morning, this is what they're here to proclaim. They're here to proclaim, brag on Jesus. Like, look at what Jesus did for me. Look at what Jesus did to me. I'm here to celebrate him. They're not attempt, they're not attempting to brag on themselves or amp to brag on themselves. They're doing this in faith, obeying the Lord so that they can make much of Jesus, to brag on Jesus, to bear witness that he is their treasure, that he's the one that's taken them from death to life, that he's the one that's forgiven them, that he's the one that's saved them from themselves and God's justice, which leads to the next section, verses 31 through 36. And the, the headline here, I think, is this. The bride puts her life in the groom's hand. Otherwise, she's not a bride. Verse 31. The one who comes from above is above all. This is still John speaking. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's words. Since he, Jesus, gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Now there's, there's a lot to unpack here. But what I want to see I want us to see in this is that the groom is no mere human. This is not an everyday, ordinary husband. He's from heaven. He reveals who the Father is. He actually speaks the words of God. He gifts the Spirit. So this is no run-of-the-mill husband. No offense. But this is no run-of-the-mill husband. This is God the second member of the Trinity. And to receive him is to affirm that God is true. Jesus is no other than the Son of God who has been eternally loved by the Father. And as that sits, I, I want you to think, That at the least, don't you want this to be true? Like, if you're wrestling with this, with this, with some skeptical thoughts, with some cynicism about life and religion and churches and all the judgment and hypocrisy, and you're messing with all that, at the least, don't you want this to be true? Like, is, isn't this picture, this portrait of a person who we're all longing for? Someone who's faithful and caring, strong and powerful, gentle and sacrificial. And I get some of you dudes cringe at this. Like, I'm telling you that Jesus is your husband. You're like, uh, I'm a man's man. Like, that's too much for me. This, this, is, this, is, this gets weird. That's the truth. I don't care how strong you think you are, how manly you think you are. You need a hero. You need someone to rescue you. 
to save you and to make you new. I mean, you can keep believing that you're the hero and try to make yourself better, but when you're dead in your sin, you don't need to be made better, you need to be made new. Enter the true husband, Jesus. You need to be loved, truly, as he's been loved. You need a, someone to stand in your place and to take the punishment, the wrath you deserve. Do you see that in verse 36? The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. You need this rescuer to make you his and commit himself to you. Now here's the rub. That may be good news, but we functionally like to believe that we're too sinful, rebellious, and dirty. That there's no hope for us. So either we, we lean on this one side that says, I'm too shameful, I'm too full of guilt, I've done too much, there's no hope for me. Or we're on the other side that think, I'm good enough, I can actually earn my way to God. Jesus is the emphatic no to both of those statements. The truth is, you're so sinful and rebellious and dirty that you deserve the wrath of the Father. Yes, for your shame and all your guilt. Yes, you deserve to be punished. And I said punished. I'm not talking discipline. I'm talking punishment to be cast off forever from the Son of the Father, from the King of Glory. But the Son of God was so loved by his Father that he moves towards you and out of love dies for you in your place, taking the punishment you deserve for your sin and gives you mercy and love and grace. This is what you need. Otherwise, the wrath of God is still on you. Like, wrath will be meted out. The, the Father's wrath is not, like, optional. It's coming down the pipe. The question is, will it stay on you now, throughout the rest of your life, and throughout eternity? Or, as you believe in Jesus and cast all your hope on Jesus, the wrath diverts from you to Jesus on the cross in your place. I mean, he, you think about a husband that's sacrificial. He chose to drink the poison cup of the Father's wrath. Willingly received punishment so that you might know love. Deep, life-altering, forever-changing, satisfying, glorious love. Love that has so much power that it melts your objections and anger and all those cynical thoughts and doubts and unbelief melts it, overcomes all of that and changes you from the inside out. A bride entrusts their life into the groom's hands. You're, you're not a bride. You're not a part 
of God's family if you individually, personally, haven't put your life and trusted your life and your soul into the groom's hands, Jesus. To believe that he's the Savior, you might not even know you need it. And then in, in a wedding, what do so many grooms and brides do in America and have done for centuries? They've exchanged rings to symbolize their commitment, their covenant, rings that display their love. And that's what these three people are doing this morning. They've entrusted their life into the true husband's hands, and so they're exchanging rings, essentially being baptized to symbolize what God has done to them and for them. So it's a, a this beautiful symbol this morning. This outward, external profession of what God has done to them internally. I mean, think. Our, if, if you're really wrestling with Christianity, everything hinges upon the resurrection. We can, I'll argue, I, I said that too excitedly. I will, like, I'm willing to, there he goes. I'm willing to argue or talk to you, debate. Why, why do I still lead off with argue? I'm willing to discuss with you your problems with the, the Bible, maybe some of your concerns about past church. But, but what we're going to come to quickly is I'm going to get to what do you do with the resurrection? What do you do with the resurrection? Like, we're, we're going to get to there. Because what we're symbolizing here is that Jesus died, buried in a tomb, and didn't stay there. There's no other one else you know that that's happened to. If it has, you've been watching too many Halloween movies and eating too many burritos. Like, stop. This is a figment of your imagination. The only one that has died willingly and rose from the grave as the Lord's true, that the world's true Lord is Jesus. That's what you got to wrestle with. And that was a side note, but let me come back to it. Think about the rings. In this marriage, we, we exchange rings. Now here in baptism, that's what we're symbolizing. That this person was dead in their sin, so they go down under the water, and then we pull them up, saying that Jesus has breathed life into them and given them a new heart. They walk in newness of life. They're a new creature. That's what we're doing this morning. Raised out of the water. Reveling in the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're obeying Jesus' command to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Making disciples. Celebrating this. We get to joyfully affirm and portray these three people's faith in Jesus. And they get to joyfully and publicly commit themselves to Jesus and his church. So now, let me be clear, in Texas, in the Bible Belt, baptism is not going to save anyone this morning. Okay? People are going to go into the water and they come out, and when they come out, they don't get a new heart. What we're celebrating is that God has already given them a new heart. The truth is that only Christians should be baptized so that we're not trying to make christians here we're, we're celebrating christians 
that have become people that have become Christians. So that that's what we're doing. To make their faith public, to signify, to symbolize what Jesus has done in their hearts. And so the big idea is this. This is a celebration. <laughs> Look what Jesus has done. And so I want you to hoop and holler. I want you to get excited. Not, not as an emotional, like, whip you up into a, a stir of like, ooh, I feel really good. No, for your emotions and affections to be rooted in the reality that Jesus still saves. That's what pumps you up. Like yesterday, I was, I was coaching my uh, uh, youngest son's soccer game. And instinctively, like, I, I don't plan this, but he scores a goal, and I'm like throwing rock fingers up like, yeah, like running down, you know? Like, I'm just, that, I didn't plan that. I don't think about that. I actually thought afterwards, it's like, why am I doing this? But, but it, it just happens. You know why? Because I'm super amped for him. He may have been a little nervous about getting out on that field. He, he struggled. He may be tempted to quit when he, when he makes a mistake. But he's out there. He's still playing. He's getting better throughout the season. He scores. And I'm like, woo, let's get it. That's what I'm saying about baptism. Like, that, that's what I'm, I, I hope, I actually pray, that the Lord would warm my heart that I would be so much more amped and excited about Jesus saving three people than my son scoring a goal on a Saturday. You checking with me? But I ask you, I have to ask you, before we go any further, a very confrontational direct question. Have you met this husband? We're saying these three have. They're saying they have. But have you entrusted yourself to the God-man? Have you put your life in his hands? He's the only one that gives true and lasting hope and joy and love and peace. He's the only one worthy of giving your life and your soul to, your eternity to. He's the true and better husband we all truly long for. The question is not, are you going to give your life to something or someone? The question is, who? Who is it going to be? You're always giving your life to someone. And what I'm saying is, if it's not Jesus, it's a cheap counterfeit that can never deliver what it promises. So I'm calling you, if that's you, to turn from your sin and your rebelliousness, and your love for yourself, and turn to Jesus. Like, let this be your wedding day. That you would give yourself to him. That would, you would confess your sin to him, and then turn to him, and confess that you need him. And believe that he is the Savior, your Savior, and he's the Lord. The one who rose from the dead, and now sits at the right hand of the Father right now, reigning over everything. So, who, honestly, who will you entrust your life to? Who will you entrust your soul to? I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that, that you would turn right now. If you're still wrestling with it, myself, Pastor Matt, will be around. We'd love to talk to you about this, to help you, to open the Bible, to speak with you. But 
legit the biggest decision you made today is not coming here or or where you're going to eat after this. It's about what are you going to do with this husband? What are you going to do? So I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself with your spirit and your word to everyone here. To those that, that don't know you, who are wrestling, who are doubting, who are skeptical, who, who think they're a Christian because they grew up in church or they have a Christian spouse or they know some about the Bible, but their soul hasn't collided with your cosmic grace. They haven't experienced genuinely your love and forgiveness and mercy. I pray you would reveal who the Son is to them. That you would show them who you are and woo them to yourself and give them new hearts. Christ's name, I pray.